Howdy, friends. Another edition of On Mike with Jordan Rich. Conversation is alive and well with some very interesting folks, many of them friends of mine from the biz. And today I am delighted to welcome a very talented fellow, Gary Tangway. Known in New England for his work as a sports commentator on TV and radio, he's also a very busy working actor in films, particularly films produced here in Boston. We'll talk about those. But the real reason for him joining me today, he's written his first novel, and it's a corker. It's called The Arm and the Fall. It's laugh-out-loud, funny, witty, sarcastic, and for anybody into the personalities of those involved in sports and sports broadcasting, this book is for you. And I know for certain Gary's got more great stories that'll make for more exciting novels. So let's settle back and enjoy a conversation with a great guy and a very talented first-time novelist as we go on mic with my good friend, Gary Tangway. Not every day that I interview not only an author, but a movie actor. Hey, Gary, welcome. How are (laughs) you? Hey, Jordan. Good to talk to you. I think the last time we actually sat down next to each other was at Boston Casting Office's you were in reading for some part, which you no doubt got, and I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. Um, uh, who knows? Uh, but I, uh, I seem to have found a niche with the with the newscaster thing. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that. You are in several films, top films, by the way. People around the country are getting to know you as the newsman of all newsmen. So let's talk about this uh, novel. Is it your first? I know you're a writer of some note, but is your your first published novel? It is my first. Yes, it is my first novel. I um, I've written screenplays and co-written screenplays, and for some reason, this just felt like a a story to me. You know, I thought it it needed. It needed some more detail. It needed a body. Mm-hmm. You know, a screenplay is, is much more of a skeleton. And this needed the whole, this needed the muscle and the, <laughs> the veins and the blood and, the, and the, the, the whole works to me. That's what, what I thought. So what, I decided to write a novel. The story is so much fun. And was it a screenplay idea that had been kicking around for a while then? No. What happened was... Um, <clears throat> Uh, as, as you know, because we first met at BZ back in the 90s uh, through radio when I was doing radio and TV and you, of course, doing radio there. Um, I've been doing sports for the majority of my career. And I was at the Super Bowl when Tom Brady was busted for Deflategate. Mm. And I had just I was kind of annoyed with my medium. I was annoyed with the whole scene because uh you know, Wolf Blitzer was talking about this. CNN was flying in people. Uh, it was being broadcast around the world as if it was World War Three. It was it was a one, you know, the lead and all the local news, the network newscast. I mean, I remember being in my hotel room and 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 seeing it 7 a.m. in the morning. Like, Good morning, America. And it was the lead. And I just fell back in my bed. I go, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. And just the mayhem over Brady allegedly taking air out of a football i go and in my mind i was like what happened if somebody was murdered and i immediately started writing down on station on on a hotel letterhead you know what happens what happened if if a player was murdered what would it be like then and then it just took off and it just felt like a novel at first you know it just i i wanted to get as you have read um and i think you could tell when you read the book i don't take myself too seriously Mm mm-hmm you know, and some of the things in there I wrote that just make my, I just laugh, you know, you know, like when I describe Rocky Suarez and I say, you know, she had a body that could make a choir boy go to hell happy. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I get joy out of that. I get so much joy out of that. 
in a screenplay, that's that's not going to make it. You know what I mean? I, I was so. actually wondering, had you ever done, because you've done everything uh, in broadcasting, had you ever done any stand-up? Because a lot of the lines and a lot of the shtick is very much joke, 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 tag after a joke, which is stand-up 101. It just felt that way. Well, I did, um, I did some open mics in my 20s, mm-hmm. you know, when I thought about it. And then I just realized how hard it was. Mm. I did, and I love comedy. And I, like a lot of us, I mean, where I grew up in Maine, we had one channel, you know, so we always, you know, watch Bob Hope specials and, you know, uh, my dad had stand up records. I mean, I don't know if you, there was a Boston comic, his name was Jimmy Joyce. Mm-hmm. And there was an, a, an album called You Don't Have to Be Irish by Jimmy Joyce. And my dad used to listen to that, listen to comedy albums. So I always grew up around it. And I love stand up comedy. I, I, but it's hard. I, it's really hard to do. But so but, I think there, there may be an influence there. But writing this stuff, you know, you've got all the time in the world because you're in your own bubble writing this, and you can tweak a line. It almost felt as though you went back, uh, probably, and tweaked some of these lines to get the most impact, like the line you just quoted. And right. and we'll talk about the characters in a second. But I love a book uh, when I literally laugh out loud. That to me is where funny makes makes it real for me. And I, I found myself laughing out loud a lot. Not just saying that because you're a buddy of mine, but really funny stuff. Well, I appreciate that, Jordan. And um, writing is hard. You know, writing a book is hard. So you have to enjoy it. <laughs> you know, you have to sit there and, and, and there are days that you don't want to write. But, you know, Stephen King's book on writing is a great motivational tool where mm. every day he writes no matter what. And you know, you have to have something in there that keeps you going. So you sit there and you write something and you laugh out loud and that keeps you going. So thank you for saying that. That makes me feel good. Now, you're currently uh, a, away from the game, so to speak, professionally. Right. But there's so much in this book, The Arm and the Fall by Gary Tangway, that you just know as a reader that you were on the inside looking out to get some of these characters under your belt. And I, I know too, because I've worked with them as well. Let's take, right. let's take the lead character, the sports commentator, Jerry Cushing, the Cush. Is he based on a, a, an amalgamation or is he based on one dude or what? Yeah, no, it's an amalgamation. It's not one guy because, you know, th- the, the great thing about working in Boston is we have been, and it's changed obviously, and I got to work with some of them, but we were we have been blessed with some phenomenal local broadcast journalists. You know, Lynch, Lobel, Dino, John Dennis, uh, you know, Levanche before he went to news. I mean, and the guys do a great job now in Duke and, and Joe Ammo. And, you know, it's. But like back in the day, right, I mean, like the 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 Lobels and the Lynches and those guys were like rock stars. Mm-hmm. And then if you went to New York, it was like Warner Wolf, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, um, uh, you know, Len Berman was the local guy and Marv Albert was the guy. And in St. Louis, they had their guy. It's like yeah. everybody's city had, every city had their guy. Like Zip Rezeppa was one guy who was here for a while. Then he broke an egg on top of his head or something. He's legendary legend for that. And he goes to St. Louis and he's like the king. Right. right. He's the king. Right. It's so Jerry Cushing is that guy. He is the guy that in the 70s and 80s you grew up watching and you have to see the highlights. I got to I got to watch the Cush at 11 o'clock to see how <laughs> the Red Sox did, exactly. you know, because there was no ESPN. Right. No ESPN. It was no Internet. None of that stuff. But when ESPN came on and the Internet came on, guys like the Cush, 
dinosaurs. Uh, you know, it's hysterical is the fact that uh, the Kush in this case is a middle-aged, upper middle-aged dude who realizes that the world has changed when it's time to record or send a feed back to the TV station, right? I mean, he's right. now using his phone. He discovers social right. media in the midst of this crazy wacko case. And that was hysterical. And uh, you and I both know that guys of a certain era, they don't want to go near a computer or a cell phone, none of that stuff. Well, no, I remember, say we'd be at Fenway Park, right, for a live shot, Jordan? Yeah. And uh, say Liz Walker, let's let's go back and Liz Walker or Jack Williams is going to send it over to me or Lobel or Numi. God bless Numi. May he rest in peace. Yes. One of the greatest. Yes. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, you had the camera guy. You had uh, the producer in your ear. You had the assistant camera guy. You had like three techs with you. Right. And a field producer. And then you and then all you had to do is show up. And they handed you the script and you did your thing. Right. Now that's all gone. It's like the line in the book is, he's just a man in his phone, right? <laughs> that's, and that's it, yeah. you know, which for some people is wonderful. I mean, obviously, some for some people, they have made millions doing that. Sure. But for a guy like the Kush, you know, who used to do the six o'clock sports, leave, go out to the Scotch and Sirloin, have a couple of drinks, have a steak, come back and do the 11. That's totally foreign to him. Oh, man, you're throwing names around. Uh, for those of you in other parts of the world who listen to the podcast, uh, these are Boston-centric places. The Scotch and Sirloin was a hangout um, between newscasts for a lot of people. A and, lot of people. And the important word there may be Scotch, but we'll t- oh, yeah. leave, that oh, yeah. alone, leave that alone. Well, there is- Every city had one. Every, yeah. LA, every city had one. You know what I mean? Speaking of L.A., where the action takes place uh, during the Super Bowl week, I, I just literally returned from L.A. last night for a couple of days visiting a stepdaughter, and it's a it's a totally different vibe. But you must have spent some time out there to get to know L.A. Have you? I did. I love it. I yeah. love Los Angeles. When I was out there for two championships, and I've taken trips out there to pitch scripts, to meet with friends in the in the film industry. Right. Um, I just love it, you know. Um, and you know, like people who have told me acting friends of mine, when you're working, it's the greatest city in the world. And when you're not working, it's hell. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I, I did. I got to, I got, to, I enjoyed it. When I, when I was in LA covering both Celtics championships, whenever I've got my wife and I have gone there for, for vacations, you know, and cruised up route one and Malibu and all mm. that, I take in the whole city. I love Santa Monica. I love Venice. I love Venice. You'll be freaks and geeks. It's awesome. You'll be happy to that's know the thing they, about me, Jordan. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Just, but that's the thing about me that I always found very frustrating is that the per- perception of me has always been like the voice and the hair and the and and the TV guy that does the sports. <laughs> but I love freaks. I, lo- I, lo- I mean, Venice is like to me the greatest city in the world. It's awesome. I was just going to say I, I visited Venice. I we saw the sunset on the beach and then walked the boardwalk and. I expected there to be homeless tents every 10 feet, and I guess they had just sort of moved a lot of these homeless types out. But the, right. the freaks and geeks are still there. It's fantastic. It's, it's fantastic. It's people watching galore. And, and that's rip, rich possible fodder for a novelist, I mean, or a screenwriter. There's so much there. So uh, let's get into the book a little bit more without giving anything away. It involves the murder, putting quotes around that, yes, the murder of – a star quarterback. He's the arm, basically. Yeah, and, the and everything around this, and you got Jerry the Cush teaming up in a weird kind of serendipitous way with this amazing 
police officer, Rocky Suarez, a female right. cop, and they set off to solve things. But it's really cool. What I really wanted to ask you about was characters like the owner of the team. Right. Uh, you, again, conglomeration of owners sure. has to be. Sure. Tell Just tell the audience what he did to make all his money. I love this. Well, Ch- Charles McNamara um, was – a flunk out. He flunked out of college and he ended up selling um, office supplies. And he's a very, and he's a salesman. Mm-hmm. He is a salesman. So what happens is he ends up selling office supplies, everything from like janitorial, you know, paper, you know, printing machines, whatever. Then he gets into the, you know, bathroom stuff, take janitorial supplies to clean the bathrooms and so forth. So, and that, inc- and that includes urinal cakes. So he discovers this line of, um, uh, eco- ecologically friendly uh, urinal cakes uh, that this hippie developed out west. He swindles the rights to the urinal cakes from him, and because internationally, um, if you use environmentally friendly products, you'll get a tax break. I don't know. I made that up. I mean, That's I just okay. assumed places like it, it sounds good, right? Sounds George? plausible to me. You know, like Sweden and Switzerland and all these places, you know, I said, you know, I mean, you get a tax break because I'm using environmentally friendly stuff. And so he made all his money off of urinal cakes. That's how he really made his dough. And that gives you an idea of what kind of novelist is. And then he goes out and buys a team. If you just had him selling janitorial supplies, not really that funny. Urinal cakes is is a funny phrase. It just made me laugh every time I heard about it. And, yeah. I, and you know, <laughs> most of these owners basically are glorified salesmen. That's how they became owners, right? Sure. In so many cases. Well, I just think a lot of the owners take themselves way too seriously. You know, I mean, it's it's I think we all take ourselves too seriously. I needed to humble the owners a little bit. It just as a, you know, as a, as a lot of owners take themselves way too seriously. The action sequences. Here's what I wanted to really get to. I love to read good action sequences. I love Jack oh, Reacher. Right. I love yeah. Jason Bourne. All that kind of stuff. When I can envision a gunfight or a fist fight or a barroom brawl, and you nailed it uh, on that end. Is is that partially because of your screenwriting background, do you think? Or do you just have a knack for action? <laughs> Absolutely screenwriting. Mm. Well, I first of all, I love action. I mean, the, the Jason Bourne novels and the Jason Bourne films, phenomenal. You know, phenomenal. And uh, so I love it, number one. And number two, it's because of screenwriting. Because screenwriting, you have to be very economical with your words you got to get to the point boom 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 boom. you got to get to the point right and so that's i think the result yeah there there are some chase scenes and some other uh fracases and so forth that really pop and i think that's you know you look forward to that in a movie and when the movie sort of doesn't really bring it it's a letdown but this was this was a great uh thing the other uh character development besides the main thrust of characters you got these sideline people, and they're all stereotypes, but they kind of exist, like the wife of the backup quarterback. Right. Yeah, Mary Lou Gilding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it. That's that's not a stereotype. I mean, it's, well, I guess I mean that that that's a real person right there, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are there are spouses, and and to to elaborate, Mike Gilding is the backup quarterback who gets to start in the big game because the arm has been murdered. And his wife becomes a suspect because she married him because he's a first round draft pick. So, you know, 
she's all about the money. She is just all about the money and making sure her man gets paid and making sure that that they get the money um, and gets what he, you know, and there, there, that happens, man. I mean, that happens. There are spouses that will marry for money, and she's one of them. And there's another character who enters the fray, and it is California, but it doesn't have to be, and that's the cult leader. You actually you bring in a cult and a yeah. cult leader. And as crazy as it sounds, I can imagine that happening with, you know, you look at these athletes, and some of them are even our beloved Tom Brady is some, sort of a cult master with his 12 everything. I mean, you know, it seems to be very plausible is what I'm saying. Well, it's the West Coast, and yes, the Reverend Solomon Steele, right, uh, who has who has created the path of the lighted way, which is a scam, you know. But um, uh, he he, you know, it's amazing to me, Jordan, and the, the genesis for that idea was really the Beatles. Remember the Beatles going to India right, yeah. and the whole and and all everybody was was. Um, was traveling to India and everybody's getting this Zen and that, that I kind of get that whole idea. And um, it kind of came from that. And just how some people who are so vulnerable, but yet so powerful, you know what I mean? Like you will see like some people who are so powerful in some ways, but yet can be so vulnerable mentally that someone can control their mind. And we're looking at athletes in this particular story, and sure. you've been around athletes and the super high-powered, high-paid athletes, and they're oftentimes just young kids who get all this money and power and posses, and they don't know what to do with it. Well, yeah, and they don't know where their money's going, and, and the, you know, I mean, it happens all the time where managers rip off players or agents rip off players, and there's lawsuits later, and sure, it happens a lot because... Uh, they're not young people are not raised to be self-sufficient. They're raised to do one thing, play football, play basketball. And in this case of the arm is he thinks his career's over because he's, you know, he's blown out his knee. I mean, he, his career's over. So this one person, the cult leader comes in and lends him a hand mm -hmm. and gets his faith and it works. So he had, and then he ends up taking all his money, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy's down and out. Faustian bargain. Yeah. 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 The arm's down and out. And this guy comes in and, you know, shows him the path of the lighted way. Um, and then ends up, you know, ending up, tries to get his estate after the guy dies. And he, you know, then the cult leader's a suspect. Maybe the cult leader did it to get the money. There are, there are a lot. It, it's a good comedy mystery. There are a lot of shall we say, red herrings and, and bluefish and all kinds of other things that come up. And that's what makes a novel like this fun, a page turner. But um, did you have any, um, and you mentioned Stephen King's book on writing, but did you have any heroes writing these kind of books growing up or in your later years, any satirical writers that come to mind? It's odd, but not really. No, mm -hmm. not, it, which is odd. Um, you know, I always like a good James Patterson book or, uh, you know, a King book is good or, um, you know, Clancy books. I liked, you know, some of the story, you know, you know, I still think like Grapes of Wrath. I was probably the only kid in school that enjoyed reading that. You know, I, I think piece that's of literature. Great, yeah, yeah, I think it's a great book. But yeah, we're like holding Coalfield drum, 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 <laughs> yes. um, I was like, I can't root for this kid. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, it's weird. But no, I think it's a great question because I, I think that the, 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 the influence came, I think, from Tarantino type of movies and the type of shows that I love. Like I loved, you know, Succession is great on Showtime. Mm -hmm. I love I love movies like Fargo. I love shows like Shameless, you know, and I think that 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 influenced me more than writing than the writers. Speaking of movies, uh, we mentioned this at the beginning. Gary has done quite a bit of movie work. Luckily, from here, you didn't have to necessarily travel all over the planet to do it. And uh, your role as Mr. Newsman, you keep showing up in first-run feature films. Congratulations. Do you remember the well, first one, by any chance? The first yeah, one? I do. The first one was uh, Local Guys. Frank Ciotta, um, the Ciotta brothers, made a movie with Danny Aiello. Um, uh, and it, was, it took place in the North End. And it was a great premise. And it was about... Uh, this funeral home that was going out of business. They were losing, they were losing business to these conglomerates who were buying up the old family funeral homes. And it was Danny Aiello and um, John Epolito, the late, great John Epolito. Right. He was right. in it. And the whole premise was they needed business. So they started a war between the two mafia families. <laughs> so they started killing each other so they would get the business. It was a dark it. comedy. I love and it. I played a newscaster in that. And that's how I got my SAG card. And I did a couple of scenes with Danny Aiello. Mm. And that was the first one. Then after that, I did Gone Baby Gone uh, with I, Ben Affleck. And I then remember. it just kind of, then I've done, a, I've done a bunch of, I've done 14 either pilots or movies as a newscaster. So and some you, haven't so, seen the light of day. Some are pilots. You've got an IMDb then that's pretty impressive for uh, for a guy who's known primarily as a sports columnist and a sports broadcaster. Yeah, that's very yeah, impressive. It, it's um, well, I, I you know the other day I auditioned to be a an angry asshole parent. So hopefully I can break the the stereotype. Oh, you that would require some acting because you're not you are a parent, but you're not one of those other kind. No, I'm not. Yeah, thank you. That's an Alexander Payne movie, which would be great to get. But but, but you've done uh, you've done some work with some A-listers, and uh, it's always interesting to be in their world and to realize they're not that much different than the rest of us in most. The cases. biggest thing I've seen, they just work their ass off. Mm -hmm. Like not like whenever I hear something about. Uh, a celebrity or entitled or lazy. I don't believe it. I mean, I, you know, who knows, but like the people that I've worked with, like, I mean, I, I ended up on the cutting room floor, but like when Affleck was directing, uh, we were at channel five filming a bunch of new scenes, the guys all over the place, the crew loves him. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's working his ass off. Mm. Um, same thing with, um, you know, Rosamund Pike who won the golden globe for I care a lot. I shot at 10 o'clock that night with her. She'd been going like since 6 a.m. Mm. She had done all those scenes with Peter Dinklage in the morning. Mm -hmm. She comes in. She does my thing at night. Her line, she's got her lines down, right? Um, she's so pleasant. And, you know, and just a pro. Same thing, Jason Clark. I did Chappaquiddick with him. And Jason Clark is, you know, he's in every scene. And he's just nails. When the, when the red light goes, man, they are just nails. And they work their ass off. That's it's, the biggest thing. It's interesting. You mentioned two actors who are not American but pull off the accents perfectly. Rosemary. Amazing. And Jason, I'll tell you the Jason Clark story. We shot that. You saw Chappaquiddick? I did. I thought underrated yeah. film. It didn't get a lot of attention, but I, I as much I as it should have. But he plays Edward Kennedy, of course. Right. John Curran did a great job with that as a director, I thought. 
Um, I thought John's editing of that film was was top notch. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jason Clark, uh, yeah, who's Aussie Australian, he'd sit there and we go in between in between takes. He just started his Australian accent, asking me about the Patriots and the Red Sox and you know blah blah. <laughs> you know, I don't. I won't even try to. Ch- if I try to do an Australian accent, I'll sound like a bad crocodile Dundee. Right, know? right. And then, you know, then John goes ready. You know, action and boom, he goes right into the Kennedy thing. And he had a, he had fake teeth because they want he, not fake teeth, but he had some sort of um, device, some sort of implant just yeah, to make his to, to make him look more like the Kennedy. Big, More the Kennedy look. broad grin, heavy yeah, and, teeth. And he had to deal with that. I wow. mean, yeah, they're locked in, man. They work. The amount of preparation people don't understand. Like I said to him, how long did you? Pre-? He says, I, he, you know, he came out to New England, looked around hours and hours and hours and mm-hmm. hours and hours. No, you, you develop a good respect for the amount of time it takes to do one quick scene. I mean, sometimes you'll be in a scene that's maybe uh, 30 seconds. It might have taken half a day or an all, uh, two days to film. Who knows? So I give you credit. And um, that's a nice sort of sidelight for somebody who writes screenplays and now novels to, to know what the other side is looking like. So when you write a book like The Arm and The Fall, right. I mean, I, I'm picturing all kinds of actors in, in various roles in various uh, sections right. of the book. Do you do the same thing in your mind? Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, to me, Jennifer Lopez, Rocky Suarez, Jennifer Lopez, um, uh, who I, I mean, I, it's funny. I'm not like a Jennifer Lopez fan as far as like her music or anything like that, but cause I couldn't tell you one song, but I think it's like a, a mogul. I think she's awesome. Like she has done everything. She is movies, reality shows, um, network television with Ray Liotta. And, and then that's kind of what I think of as Rocky. You know, Rocky Suarez is her own person, man. Mm. She is, you know, she's her own corporation. And that's that's what I always thought of uh, with her. And then, for you know, for the Kush, you know, I thought of uh, Adam Sandler. Uh, I thought of Seth Rogen, maybe. Uh, he would have to age up a little bit. It's funny. Um, I, I thought Adam Sandler right, it, it really did. Based on the film he did recently uh, about the gems. gems. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I cut gems. I cut gems, yeah, uh, uh, absolutely, uh, Adam Sandler-ish in the role, but a, a kind of part that any actor would give his uh, his false teeth to play, if you want to use teeth again as an analogy. It's oh, great. Well, it's a you. great role. So, what do you do from here? I mean, I hope you sell a million books, but is there is there another novel in the works right now, Gare? There is, yes. I mean, um, and to push it, yeah, you can the arm in the fall. You can get on Amazon. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm working on um, my second novel. Here's the working title, The Boom and the Ball. And I don't know if it's going to make sense, but that's just the working title. And um, it's uh, a murder mystery in, in regard to professional basketball. And the main characters is a special agent named Noah St. Sabin, and he's Canadian. He's from Maine. And uh, it's a total different it's a it's it's a totally different take from the Kush. It's and I think that uh, I'm hoping I could make a series of books based on this one, The Arm in the Fall. We'll see how how it goes. Well, just from the onomatopoeia, the blank and the blank, 
right? You're already working on yeah. a title that I think that that's a great idea. Become a cottage industry for that kind of book. Maybe which we're, we're trying, <laughs> you know. And one of the things, Jordan, I want to ask you is I think I don't think you have to be a sports fan to enjoy the book, right? No, absolutely not. It I think what you're commenting on is really more cultural than sports. Uh, right. I mean, there really isn't anything that anyone who doesn't have any working knowledge of life wouldn't appreciate. I mean, it, right. uh, and and we're taping this before the Super Bowl, whatever number it is. Right. And you've been there. You know what it's like. It is it is like a, a, a make-believe ride for adults, right? It's not. It doesn't even seem real at times. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, to the point where the last two ones I covered – they said you can go home early, and I said thank you. I'm leaving. <laughs> and yeah. by the time the game was played, I was on my couch. <laughs> the, my favorite Super Bowl was the one in Black Sunday, and that was a phony Super Bowl where you know oh, Robert Shaw defeated uh, Bruce Dern <laughs> in a playoff, sudden death. Well, I am so excited for you. Do you, by the way, miss doing the daily sports grind, or are you happy doing what you're doing now? I'm very happy doing what I'm doing now. I had a wonderful career. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I'm able to see my son play lacrosse and see, you know, one daughter's in college. I have two other kids in school. So I've been playing the, the, the dad at home, which has been great, which has been, I had no idea how great it would be. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And I'm, I really enjoy pursuing writing and, um, and acting, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, yeah. Well, I, I don't miss it. It was a great time, but I don't miss it. Well, we miss – I'm just going to speak for myself. We miss you, uh, those of us who occasionally would listen to sports radio. And I say occasionally because I kind of lost interest in, in a lot of it. It's right. become just the same thing over and over and over again. And I thought you always brought a nice, fresh bent of creativity that is needed. But – you're doing what you need to do right now, exactly where you should be, Gare, on little screens and big screens and in the uh, closet where you're recording this with me. <laughs> well, we're not together in the same closet. But The Arm in the Fall by Gary Tangway, T-A-N-G-U-A-Y. Knockdown, drag out, funny, and a uh, bit of a thriller, too. So uh, I think people will really love it. Uh, Jordan, I thank you, my friend. It's been a pleasure, and it's always great to talk to you. Gary Tangway, the book, once again, The Arm and the Fall, available everywhere. Fine books are sold. Get it on Amazon. It's laugh-out-loud funny and actually quite a thrill ride, too. So uh, good luck, Gary. You certainly deserve all the success you're getting. Thanks, as always, to Dan Tebow, Fast Twitch Media, to Chark Productions, where we produce this and many other podcasts. Find out more at jordanrich.com. And until next time, dear friends, you know what we say. Be well so you can do good. Take care.